series is also about what we pass down from generation to generation. Because we are a part of God's story, and so we too have this potential to pass down mercy, hope, joy, restoration. And to get at that idea, you can go to the next slide, Brian, we're going to put up, we're going to consider these three questions really throughout our four weeks of Advent. As we look at different stories from the text, What did the people in the stories that we're going to look at pass on or contribute? What did they pass on to the next generation? How did they participate in God's liberation and love? And what can we learn from them? And what are we called to pass on to the next generation? That last question maybe strikes me uh, as most important or pressing or, I don't know, most interesting to me where I am in my life. What am I going to learn from the people and the stories we're going to look at, and what am I going to pass on to others? So the part of the Christmas story that we're going to look at this morning is riveting. It's the part, actually, in truth, that I usually skip. The part I just flip right past. Because it looks and seems to me to be boring, old, and very hard to pronounce. And it's the genealogy in Matthew 1. So the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, begins with this long list of names. And uh, it's the genealogy from Abraham to Jesus. And it's found in Matthew 1, 1 to 16. Uh, The scripture is not going to be on the screen because it's a lot. And there might be something to just listening to it. But if you are more of a visual person and you want to pull it up, here's your quick few moments to get it on your phone or to grab a Bible in a seat in front of you and get to Matthew 1, 1 to 16 if you would prefer it that way. I think I'm reading this morning from, if you are pulling it up on your phone, the New Living Translation, if that helps you follow along a little more closely. But this morning's going to be quite participatory. After we get done reading this, I'm going to ask you for your observations of the text. What do you notice about this long list of names? What strikes you? What makes you wonder? What questions does it raise? Is there a name that stands out to you, right? Anything and everything. I'm going to ask you to talk back to me, okay? So just prepare yourselves, gird up your courage, and, and you know, get ready to do that out loud. We'll also have a Google Doc for those who are online, And for those in the midst here who are perhaps a bit less likely to talk out loud, you can put your observations in the Google Doc, and that QR code will be up in a moment. But let me read. Matthew 1, 1 to 16. The book begins this way. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Aram, and Aram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. We're only a third of the way through. Are you okay? You try okay. 
There, here's the second third. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Now, if you're impressed because I know how to say all of these names, don't be. I'm just saying them with confidence, which is always the trick when you're reading biblical names. Just say them like you know how to say them, and then you're good. Okay. Third section. We still have one more to go. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Salathiel, and Salathiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abuid, and Abuid, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eluid, and Eluid, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who bore Jesus, who is called the Messiah." All right, so let's put up that QR code. If you're so inclined, you can put observations here in this Google Doc. Just simply, what did you notice? And if you are uh, also so inclined, I would love for some people here who um, can share verbally what they noticed or what struck them. And so let's do that. Let's start first with the verbal folks, since that's something we can do immediately. Laura, yes, thank you. I have always thought it was really weird that we always talk about Mary as the mother of Jesus, but it's Joseph who's our line from the Messiah. This genealogy tracks Joseph's lineage. Yes, right. And Laura's saying she, we always think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Yes. Um, That's right. It wasn't even Joseph's baby. Yep. Yep. So she's the important one. He isn't. This maybe is bringing an and to that. Is that what you're saying? Like, oh, interesting. Joseph is getting some, some time here. We are going to talk about Joseph quite a bit in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's interesting. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah. Judah's one of Jacob's son in that first group. But also Jacob had Joseph, you're saying, right? That first Jacob. And now here we have with Jesus, Jacob, Joseph, Jesus. So Jacob, but a different son is named. Um, that's, that's okay. That's a bit of like really cool, dorky, water cooler sort of Bible trivia that you just pulled out right there. And I appreciate it, Elliot. Thank you so much. We hang out at cooler water coolers, okay? That's where we hang out, Elizabeth, yes? <laughs> That's right. So this is a lineage dominated by men. There are five women named, one of whom is Mary. That's right.
That's right. So Janelle is saying that the mother's the only sure connection to your lineage. You know, the father could be any number of people. Some of the stories will, one of them we'll look at today is kind of um, proof of that. Yeah. So five women named, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yep. That's great, Sarah. So Sarah's just, those of you who are online or maybe can't hear her, she's just talking about how these people in this lineage are broken and yet the lineage passes through them. And what does that say about who God is and how God chooses to work? You've essentially just preached the last part of the sermon today, which is perfect. So actually, we're done. Um, no, it's good. It's good. And I, I imagine one of you might, or maybe many of you are kind of noticing that or thinking about that. The people on this list are not like a stellar list in many ways of, of folks. Elliot, what? Elliot, okay. This is the last one. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am going to go into it, so that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Nor is Rahab. Yep, Rahab's not either. Mm-hmm. Yep, an outsider. Yeah, I mean, the circumstances around these women that are named is certainly, um, again, I'll, I'll use the word untidy, you know. Now, I think, I think, Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, as the poem that Sarah read at the end said repeatedly there three times, there's room, there's room, there's room. There's room for, for all of these stories. And I think what I was going to say there is that we, we might look at their circumstances and we might call them untidy, although I think Bethany's encouraging us to not even do that. But what often happens, I think, is that we then transfer, we judge these women themselves because of their circumstances. And so Tamar gets called a prostitute. That's how we refer to Tamar. Her story is, as I'll maybe talk about in a moment, is a lot more complicated than that. Um, yeah, and so we make these judgments about these people and they're not favorable. And so these women get added. Sometimes I think they get talked about like, oh, look at at these, you know, unsavory, poor, broken, um, not broken, unsavory, you know, these women who are like, hmm, questionable. Oh, they get included in God's story. Isn't that great? And I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's the narrative, actually, when you look at their stories individually. Are they unsavory people, or are they just people? And are they actually quite courageous people, and um, people who do some pretty brave things to figure out how to respond to the circumstances that they're in? 
I'll say more about that in a second. Anybody else want to say anything else? I wanted to look at the Google Doc just to make sure you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> Someone said there was a lot of names. That's correct. That's correct. Not a lot of mothers. It all started with Abraham. Yeah, very important for the author of the Gospel of Matthew that this goes back to Abraham. Um, he, he certainly wants to connect Jesus to the, the father of Israel because that's important to who Matthew's writing to. Matthew, we think, is probably writing to a Jewish audience, so it's important that there would be that connection. Okay. Good. So let me, let me just say real briefly a couple of things, or maybe a little bit more about a couple of things that you all have already said. Um, So the, and I want to talk about these five women. I want to zoom in for a moment on these, these five women, and maybe Tamar especially, who I think um, there are kids with us today. We don't have branch kids because it's the last Sunday of the month. So I'm going to keep this very PG, although go and read Genesis 38. It is not PG. I mean, it's PG-13, maybe even more so. Um, you know, Tamar marries the oldest son of Judah, and Judah's oldest son dies before Tamar has any children. And so the custom, the law of that day is that the next brother in line marries Tamar in order to have children for that lineage. That next brother marries her, but then isn't really excited about having children with her, and so he does some things to ensure that pregnancy doesn't happen. If you know what I mean. If you don't, you can read Genesis 38. And um, he dies before any children are born to Tamar. Well, Judah starts to think, gosh, Tamar is probably pretty cursed. You know, the two sons who married her are dead. Um, I've got a third son. I'm not going to give him to her. Although he says to Tamar, when my third son gets old enough, He's not old enough yet, but when he comes of age, I will give him to you too, as the law requires, and you will have children through him. This this third son comes of age. Judah does not give this son to Tamar. And so now she's in this position where she has no husband, and she will never have a husband, because in that day and culture, no one from the outside world is going to come and choose to marry Tamar. This is why this law and custom existed. You, a brother would marry, the next brother would marry, the next brother would marry to ensure that this woman was not alone because 3,000, 4,000 years ago, to be a woman alone in the world was the most precarious place to be. You had no rights, no rights to property, and if you had no sons, that was everything. No children. It's hard for us with our 21st century eyes to understand the significance of this, but it's hard, to say the least, for Tamar. So Tamar, having been lied to and betrayed by her father-in-law, does something that we can't probably wrap our minds around. Um, But I would suggest to you what choice does she have, given the circumstances of her time? And so she um, tricks 
Well, that's an even trick, actually. Well, kind of. It's kind of tricksy. Her father-in-law to have relations with her in order to have a son, which she does. She actually has two sons. She, she bears twins. Um, and her story is specifically mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. She, she doesn't need to be mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. There's no reason that she had to be included in this list in Matthew 1. But she is. Why? Why is she included? Anybody want to throw out a guess? A feeling, a thought? Jesus was fond of outcasts. Yeah, it's true. So Bethany said, if you're going to tell a story of a mysterious, hard-to-believe birth, the virgin birth of Jesus, uh, maybe you should also remind people that hard and mysterious things have already happened in this lineage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so you're, you're, you're remembering that Magnificat, part of which we just started to look at look at, but Mary goes on to sing about that, that God's the God of the oppressed. Yes. Yep. Kevin, were you going to say something too? <laughs> it's, yeah, it certainly doesn't fit um, maybe the standard uh, or what, what you might expect, again, to be included here. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. Judas kind of called out in a way by naming Tamar in this list. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, again, I think the story of Tamar, isn't that interesting? We talk about the story of Tamar. Why don't we call it the story of Judah? Or why, don't, why does he almost kind of get a, a, we look the other way. She's the one who gets labeled negatively often, I think. It's interesting. It's interesting. So let me ask you these three questions. Let's come back to them. They were the ones that I had um, mentioned earlier. And let me just ask you of this long genealogy, what did the people in these stories pass on or contribute? What do you think? How did they participate in God's liberation and love? Did they participate in it? How? What can we learn from them? What can we learn from them? What are we called to pass on to the next generation? It is, it is curious to me, at first glance, that you know, this is the genealogy of the Messiah, the long-awaited King of Kings, and yet you know, this is his family tree. Why in the world does it have so many broken people in it? Of all the lineages possible, of all the family lines to follow that Jesus could have ended up arriving from, why, why one so broken? I mean, this is the lineage that God chooses to enter into and become a part of? Really? Yes. You know, a million times yes. 
These are stories of trauma and triumph. There's no doubt about that. These are real people whose lives God does not seem to be afraid to embrace. These are messy stories that God seems more than willing to incorporate into God's own story. Just think about that for a moment. God willingly chooses to incorporate these stories into God's own story. And so every name, one of these next slides, Brian, every name that's connected to Christ before his birth holds a story. And their story became an an integral part of God's story. We, We see that in this genealogy. But there's the other half of it. See, every name that was and is connected to Christ after his birth holds a story, and their story becomes an integral part of God's story. And then that has to mean that your name is connected, and your story continues to be an integral part of God's story. Like Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba, you too, I know, have found yourselves having to weather difficult circumstances outside of your control. Forces at play in your life that you don't really have much say over create pain and loss and difficulty. You too have faced situations that make you wonder if you have a future. You too, I know, have felt lost and without hope. I I know that your story and mine is not some romantic fairy tale. And yet God has embraced it just as it is. And just as you are. So this morning we we looked at a genealogy that we might think of as old and boring and hard to pronounce. But perhaps it was given to us to spark our imagination. To help us remember that no matter your story, God has joined it. God has entered into your story and is transforming it and propelling it forward. Your story and mine and the story of the person on your left and right and behind you and in front of you is being woven together into something much larger and more beautiful than we likely realize. And so this Advent, um, may we each zoom in on the people in the stories, these ancestors of our faith, and learn from them and ask ourselves What can we take from them to pass on ourselves? And may we also zoom out this Advent and catch a glimpse of this beautiful tapestry that God is weaving together with our lives. To end here, or really to continue that thought, a few things I want to invite you to do. Three, Three things. Uh, I'll start with this. This is an image created by a, one of the artists at a sanctified art. 
And um, it's in the Google Doc, if you're in there and you know, maybe you can't see it on the screen easily. And these are the women that are in the genealogy, Mary being the, the largest. This is Bathsheba, the, the queen of Israel. Ruth, Rahab, and Tamar. The rose represents Christ. You know that old song we sing around Christmas time, Oh, air though rose is blooming. Lo, how a rose is blooming. Thank you, thank you. Close enough. Uh, the artist is drawing on that idea here that Christ is in the center of this image, but these women are the leaves that are supporting um, and blooming out of and connected to Christ. It's quite, it's quite lovely. And as with all pieces of art, there's a lot here. And so one thing you could do in the next seven to ten minutes, because we're going to take a little bit of time here, is... Um, just reflect on this piece of art and see what it might have to say to you. And again, it's in that Google Doc if um, you would just rather have it nice and close and available to you. It'll also be up here if you want to come and just look at it. So that's one option. Another option is to wander the room and to find a word for Advent. Find a word for Advent. On the two tables up front and the two tables in the back are cards that look like this. And every card has one word. And every card is different. There's no duplicates. So there's about 200 words spread out on cards on these different tables. What we're inviting you to do today is to leave with one of these words. Which one? That's up to you. And so you're going to have time here to wander the room and to just look at these words. And they're, it's a lovely collection of words. They're kind of all over the place from words like resist or bravery, friendship, creativity, release, listen, justice. It's, it's a whole wonderful collection. The idea Teresa and I had you can turn this in, of course, to whatever you want, but that you would take one of those words and that you would put it somewhere that you're going to see it. On your bathroom mirror, on the dashboard of your car, I don't know where, but someplace where you're going to come into contact with this word multiple times in the midst of the craziness of the next month, and you're gonna, that word is going to say whatever it needs to say to you in this season. It's going to be this kind of constant calling back to something that matters to you. So you're going to have to wander the room and find a word that resonates, is I guess what I'm saying, right? You're just looking for a word that catches you, grabs your attention, speaks to you somehow. Take that word with you. That's the second thing here in the next collection of time. And the third would be to have communion. There will not be people serving communion up here, as is often the case. You are simply invited, if you would like, to come forward and to take a piece of bread or a gluten-free cracker, take a cup and bring them back to your seat and eat them there on your own. Often we'll eat and drink together. Today, you're free to do that whenever in these next 10 minutes or so that you would like to. This meal, of course, transforms us. It reminds us of God's story, 
and that we are a part of it. We are invited into it, right? So, reflect on the art. If you would like, find a word. I hope you will. Take this meal if it would be meaningful to you. When there's about a minute left, I'll just say, hey, there's about a minute left, so you have a sense of that, and then we're going to move into one more song and, um, and then a blessing, all right? Before we do that to help prepare us for this time, Sarah Lumberg's going to come back up and read, lead us through really a prayer. There's parts for you, as you'll see up on the screen. And, um, and then when we say amen together on the last slide, then you're free to move about and do these things here together. Thanks, Sarah.